wonderful day. I, I um, got up this morning and came across the street and thought, uh, you know, wore my fall colors today. I, I'm not a winter person. I don't mind fall too much, but the weather was nice and warm. I appreciate that. Gift from the Lord today. And wonderful day. And I had somebody walk in this morning and say, man, it's beautiful outside. It sure is. And and uh, I'm, I'm thankful for, for that and, and also uh, thankful as we think about our topic this morning to have been in my life, uh, throughout my life, surrounded by even today and, and, uh, and I know going forward, thankful to be surrounded by wonderful, not just wonderful days, but certainly wonderful women that God has placed uh, in my life from my grandmothers to my mother to my wife, my sister uh, and cousins and so on. And uh, I, I would like to begin this morning as we think about the topic uh, that we'll look at this morning of women. I would like to begin just with a prayer of thanks uh, for the women in our lives, for the women of this church, uh, for the women who've had such an impact on us. If you are uh, man or woman, uh, boy or girl, you have been impacted, I'm sure, by very many women in a very positive way. Uh, we have many in our church uh, who are living testimonies to godly women, grandmothers, mothers, whomever. So if you would, join me in a word of prayer of thanksgiving uh, for the women in our lives. Lord, we do thank you for your raising up of godly women who have had such a tremendous impact on the lives of so many. We thank you for grandmothers and great-grandmothers and mothers and wives and, and sisters and cousins and friends and so many that come to mind even now. So many women who, Lord, have loved you and loved us, and we thank you for them. There's so many who are here today who are those, those kinds of women. And God, we thank you for them. We pause to give you all the credit and glory, and we thank you for the, the women that you have brought to us. Over there are many of us today who are testimonies of what a, a loving and godly woman can impact and can produce in the lives of those around them. So Lord, we thank you. Lord, as we look at your scripture this morning on what a godly woman is and is to be, Lord, I pray that, um, that you would open our eyes. God, I pray that no matter if we are male or female or old or young or somewhere in between, no matter if we're married, no matter if we have children, no matter what the case may be, that we would look to your word today to, to find what the true definition of biblical womanhood is. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would be discerning, that we would be able to tell the difference between who you have created women to be and who the world wants them to be. So God, I pray for the women that are here that may be getting confused and mixed messages from the world. I pray that today would be one of freedom, one of strength, one of encouragement, and yet at the same time, Lord, one of challenge for the women in this room, Lord, for even the men who love them and are impacted by them. So God, we trust you as we open your word this morning. We trust you to speak to us and to reveal to us your truth. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in a series, if you've been here over the last several weeks, you know this, we are in a series called The Making of a Christian Family. And we have not gotten to marriage, we have not gotten to parenting, we have not gotten to those types of issues yet, because we are trying to lay the foundation, the building blocks, for what it is that makes a Christian family. And uh, obviously in our world today, it is uh, the family is under great attack, uh, we see that in our own homes, in our lives, in our churches, and so on. The family is the target of society. The family is the target of Satan, our great enemy. And so he uses the influences of society to try to take down the family. Uh, and so what we've tried to do is reconstruct what does God say the family is to be about. And certainly whether you are married, whether you are single, whether you are old, young, in between, whether you have children, whether you are a grandparent, 
whether you are single with no children, whatever it may be, this is a series that directly applies to you because either you will, you are in a family or you will one day be in a family that these principles will then come to life and you'll say, oh, I realize now how important what God said about this stuff really, really is. And so I, I, my prayer for this is that each time we get to a different topic on the family, that those who may at first think, well, I'm not directly impacted by that, those, will, those folks will not tune out and turn off, but you will be keenly aware of how directly impactful even a series like this is, even a topic today like womanhood is even on men. So this series so far, we've looked at what does it take to make a Christian family. We started with a plan. You must choose God's plan over the world's plan. And if you are not intentionally choosing God's plan for your family, then you are by default, whether you want to admit it or not, you are by default choosing the world's plan for your family. And the world and Satan himself has a very sinister plan for your family. And at its very core, that plan is to send your family, as, as crude as it may sound, as, as offensive as it may sound, in today's uh, relativistic world, Satan's plan is to send your family to hell. That is it. That is his plan. So if you're not choosing, intentionally choosing God's plan for your family, then you are by default choosing to allow Satan and his influences to lead your family down a path that none of us, none of us would say we want our families to go. So we started with laying the foundation, a plan for Christian families, choosing God's plan, which is great, which is freedom, which is blessing. And then we looked at individuals, that a person is involved, how each individual person needs to be someone who is careful to live wisely, and to, to, to be filled with God's Spirit. Only then can you be the type of person that can grow and make a Christian family. Only then. Last week we looked at men. And, and how men are to be men of love and commitment and sacrifice. Just as Jesus has done for the church. Men are not to be domineering. And, and, and these, these guys, as we looked at last week, who, who just fit stereotypes and so on. They are to truly be men, all other things considered, all other things thrown away, that at their core are men of love, men of sacrifice, men of commitment. All the other stuff is just extra. If you're a guy who can fix things, that's great. But if you're not at your core a guy of love, sacrifice, and commitment, you're missing the point. If you're a guy who's a great athlete, hey, great, good for you. But if you're not at the core a man of, of love, sacrifice, and commitment, you're missing the point. And so that's what we saw last week. We know that those things are building blocks, and we see another one this week. There is a woman involved in the making of a Christian family. I want you to flip around with me. The words of, of the verses will be on the screen. If you didn't bring a Bible or if, or if we move just a little bit too fast, then don't worry about it. You'll see the words on the screen. But it, I'd like for you, as we go through these, to write down even some of these Scripture references and maybe go back to them and begin to study through them. Hopefully each week what you get here is not only a good dose of God's Word for what it can apply and be useful for in your life, but you get a springboard, hopefully, to some study for the rest of the week. You'll take what we talk about here each week, not because I bring it, but because it comes from the Word of God. I think that if you work through it throughout the week, it can certainly change your life. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 22 to 33. This is sort of our foundational passage of Scripture for this entire series as we look at what does it mean to be a Christian family, both the plan, the individuals, the man, the woman, the parents, the, 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 the spouses, and so on. It says in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, 
without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So we get an idea here, this foundational passage. This is what a Christian marriage, a Christian home, is to be built upon. A, a vertical love for the Lord and a horizontal mutual submission out of love for each other. And we'll see that unpacked in the coming weeks. If you look with me in Proverbs chapter 31, as we continue to think about uh, the women that are mentioned in these passages, you see from Ephesians chapter 5, the woman mentioned there seems to not be a, a woman who's oppressed, seems to not, not be a woman who's uh, down and out, seems to be a woman who loves God, loves her family, and is fulfilled uh, in doing all of those things. Proverbs 31 is also a passage of Scripture. Many of you are probably familiar with this if you've read Proverbs before. In praise, uh, my, my heading here says, of a capable wife. Some may say uh, other things, but here's what the Scripture says. Who can find a capable wife? Or some may say a wife of noble character. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will not lack anything good. She rewards him with good, not evil, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from far away. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and portions for her servants. She evaluates a field and buys it. She plants a vineyard with her earnings. She draws on her strength and reveals that her arms are strong. She sees that her profits are good and her lamp never goes out at night. She extends her hands to the spinning staff and holds her hand to the spindle. Her hands reach out to the poor and she extends her hands to the needy. She is not afraid for her household when it snows, for all in her household are doubly clothed. She makes her own bed coverings. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the city gates where he sits among the elders of the land. She makes and sells linen garments and she delivers belts to the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing and she can laugh at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and loving instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the activities of her household and is never idle. Her sons rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. Many women are capable, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Give her the reward of her labor and let, the work, let her works praise her at the city gates. You get an idea here of what it is to be a biblical and godly woman, someone who is respected, someone who is loved and revered. In Titus chapter 2, we'll look several scriptures up here at the very beginning and then work through the outline that some of you are so anxious to get to on the back of your bulletin. I see it in your eyes. I see you. It's okay to smile in church. It's all right. We're good. Titus chapter 2 gives another picture of what the family is to be. If we are to be about the making of Christian families, what, what should we be about? How should we go about this? And, and, and Titus, um, in chapter 2, says this, But you must speak what is consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, and, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not addicted to much wine. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and children, to be sensible, pure, good homemakers, and submissive to their husbands, as, so that God's message will not be slandered. Likewise, encourage the young men to be sensible about everything. Set an example for good works yourself uh, with integrity and dignity in your teaching. You see here the different elements 
uh, that Paul is writing about when he speaks to the various people in the, in the family, uh, in the church, the, the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, and so on. If you flip back to Proverbs, I hope by now you're getting an idea that the Bible does speak authoritatively on what women are to be, who God has created them to be, and how they can be free in serving Him. In Proverbs chapter 11, and we'll hang out in Proverbs for just a minute, we get some more insight on what it means to be a godly and biblical woman. In Proverbs 11:16, it says this, A gracious woman gains honor. A gracious woman gains honor. Proverbs chapter 12, turn the page over just a little bit, verse 4, A capable wife is her husband's crown, but a wife who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Isn't that great? I love how the Bible is just pretty honest. That's, that's good. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22, says it this way, A man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 19, verse 14, says this, A house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but what? A sensible wife is from the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 21, as you keep turning, you get to these great verses. I love Proverbs. It's great. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. Isn't that great? Goodness. Now, of course, none of us... Now, listen. Fellas, if you're here with your wife, this, this isn't her. Okay? This is not, she's not that nagging wife. You don't need to go build you a little room on the corner of your house. Okay? All right, now, sometimes you get thrown to the doghouse. Okay? I get that. Now, as if Proverbs chapter 21 there, verse 14 was not enough, over in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 24 it repeats it. Better to live on a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a nagging wife. You know, if you don't get it the first time, let me tell you. Now, this doesn't say, all right, let me, let me clear this up for just a second. This is not saying that, fellas, if you live with what you perceive to be a nagging wife, that it's time for you to leave. Now, let me tell you this up front. <clears throat> the Bible makes it very clear, that the grounds for divorce. And I'm not going to preach on divorce today, but let me tell you this. Hey, having a nagging wife is not grounds for divorce. I'll just tell you that up front. And I mean that with all seriousness. There, there are many men, we talked about last week, a man, a man of sacrifice, a man of love, a man of commitment. Having a nagging wife is not grounds for divorce. Now, some of us say, well, you know, that's kind of funny. But let me be honest with you. In our world today, in the world of no-fault divorce laws and all that, men have the opportunity, as do women, but I think it's more so men, have the opportunity to simply walk away. I don't like you anymore. You're bugging me. I'm not satisfied here. I'm bored, whatever it may be. We can walk away. Fellas, this is not a message about divorce, but let me, let me tell you. Just because you have a, what you perceive to be a nagging wife and you'd rather live on the corner of the roof, then with her, does not give you grounds for divorce. It gives you grounds to work through it, to pray for her, to get some help, whatever it may be, to humble yourself, whatever, but it is not grounds for divorce. There you go. There's my tangent on divorce. We'll cover that again later on. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 15. Here we go again. An endless dripping on a rainy day and a nagging wife for life. How about that? Love it. <clears throat> I just love the honesty. Now listen, guys, they take a beating too, all right? Now I'm just, just picking on women today, but, but let's be honest. The Bible is very clear that there is either God's way or the world's way, and you can be one or the other if you're a woman. You can be the kind of wife that is a, the crown of her husband, or you can be a dripping foster. that never ends. You can be the kind of woman that, that whose children rise up and say, I love you and thank you so much, or you can be the opposite. And so the, the guiding principle today is, as we jest a little bit with the verses that seem to be so honest and funny, 
But there are two different ways for women to go. These scriptures make it clear there's God's way, there's the world's way. And so the guiding principle today as we break this down is this, that every woman, every woman must choose between being a woman of the Word, that is God's Word, the Scripture, the Bible, and being a woman of the world. You must make a choice between being a woman of the Word and a woman of the world. There is no in-between. If you are not intentionally choosing to be a woman of the Word and living your life according to the Scriptures, then by default, whether we want to admit this or not, you are choosing to be a woman of the world. God gives you two options. My way, the world's way. No in-between, not well, kind of God's way and kind of the world's way. God says you're either all in or you're not in at all. And so, so ladies, I say to you, the choice is, based on the Scripture, very clear. You must choose to be a woman of the Word or a woman of the world. Now, I want to give you some contrast today and some examples of how that principle plays itself out. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a woman of the Word compared to a woman of the world? I want to look at just a few examples. There are more in the Scripture that we could look at. And I tried to select today from some various Scriptures just some general principles. Here's what it means. First of all, a woman of the Word is focused on inner beauty. A woman of the Word is focused on inner beauty. This type of woman knows that that is what pleases God. That is what makes a marriage last. That's what aids in raising children. And that is what helps with dealing in the issues of life. In Proverbs 31, as we just read, in verse 30, it says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but what? A woman who fears the Lord, who has inner beauty, will be praised. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, uh, Peter writing here, and he, he says to those who are uh, listening, rather, 1 Peter chapter 3, excuse me, verses 3 through 5, he says, Your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold ornaments and fine clothes. And I understand this is a cultural thing at the time, but it, the principle is the same. Instead, it should consist of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's eyes. For in the past, the holy women who hoped in God also beautified themselves in this way, submitting their own husbands. You can see that throughout the Scripture, the people, the women who are women of God's Word, focus first on inner beauty. Now, I can say from experience in my own life, and I'm sure you can too, that I have a deep and, and abiding love for those women in my life who focused on their inner beauty. They were women of godly character. They weren't just good people. They were women of solid, godly character who loved Jesus and as a result loved people. If you're to be a woman of the Word, this is absolutely obvious and imperative that you will first focus. This will be your highest priority is your inner beauty, your inner character. Now the opposite of that is what the world offers and that is obviously outer beauty. You want to be a woman of the Word, you'll focus on inner beauty. If you choose not to, by default, you're choosing to be a woman of the world, which is focused on outer beauty. Now, I have to say that in our world today, this is an idol. Outer beauty is a god in our world. You just you watch advertisements, you watch television at all, you look in magazines and so on. You just look at who it is that seems to be worshipped in our society, the celebrities, the famous people, and so on. They are all about one thing, and that's what they look like, their image, how they can be portrayed, and so on. Outer beauty is the world's candy. It is the world's drug. You see the money spent, the concern over, the time spent on 
on obsessing over what people look like. And, and I know that in, in our church here today, this is a very difficult thing for many women to overcome because the world throws at you so many things. You have to look this way. You have to be this height and this size and so on and so forth. The world, I'll tell you this, the world, because Satan is behind the world, the world is against women. The world wants to convince you that outer beauty is where it's at. And certainly the Bible does not call you to completely ignore your appearance. That's not the point. The point is not, you should you wear makeup or not? That's not the point. The point is not, should you fix your hair or not? Understand what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying that the priority is inner beauty. That outer beauty is not necessarily thrown out the window, but is always a secondary concern. It is not what drives you. If you want to be a woman of the Word, you will be focused on inner beauty. If not, you're by default choosing to focus on outer beauty and be a woman of the world. I came across this, this statement this week that I thought was appropriate. It says, uh, speaking to women, uh, no amount of physical beauty can compensate for a lack of godly character. No amount of physical beauty can compensate for a lack of godly character. I'll tell you this, no matter what you look like on the outside, it is fleeting. It, this, too, this too shall pass. Some of you look and you say, boy, I tell you what, 50 years ago, it didn't quite look like I do now. You know, 20 years ago, it didn't. 10 years ago, 5 years ago, oh, goodness, I look in the mirror and I say the same thing. What happened, you know? But, but the truth is, it's fleeting. It will pass. The world tells you a lie. Ladies, the world tells you that you can remain young forever. That you can spend your money on certain procedures, certain makeup, whatever it may be. I mean, just look at the commercials, read the fine print, whatever you want to do. It's selling you a lie that you don't have to age, you don't have to get older, and that you don't have to die. It, it denies reality. We all get older. We all age. Things happen to our hair and so on. Our, you know, our, we get a little wrinkle here and there. The makeup just can't quite, can we try and so on. But tell you what, the world denies reality. All of us will age. All of us will die. The world doesn't want you to believe that because Satan wants you to focus on the here and now. Get it all now. Don't focus on eternity. Focus on your outer beauty. But the woman of the Word knows that this outer beauty, it may be valuable in some people's eyes, but it's not what pleases God. Because the Scripture makes it clear God looks at the heart, not on the outside. God's concerned about who you really are, not what you look like. A woman of the Word knows that outer beauty can't sustain a marriage. We have marital problems. It doesn't matter what you look like. There's no man that stays with a woman simply because of what she looks like. It doesn't happen. But he'll stay with a woman. He'll be committed to a woman who on the inside is who God has made her to be. Outer beauty doesn't help you in raising children. Your children don't say, Mommy, I'm going to obey you because you're so pretty. Mommy, let me tell you, listen, you are the most gorgeous woman in the world. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. They don't do that. They laugh at you. You know, they don't care what you look like. Hey, Mommy, why are you taking all that time fixing your hair? That's what they say, you know. Outer beauty doesn't get us where we need to be. It doesn't assist in the real issues of life. When you have financial stress, guess what? It doesn't go away because you're pretty. It doesn't go away because you put makeup on. Let's be honest with it. Those things are handled only by inner beauty, only by a woman of the Word. I hope you understand the difference. That the world's focus, the world's top priority is what you look like on the outside. God's top priority is who you are on the inside. And so the priority should be that for us, for the women here today. Focus on who you are, not what you look like. And let me say this to the guys. We, if we are married, we need to support our wives in this. Guys, we don't need to compete or make our wives compete in any way for what they see on television, what we see on, on advertisements, whatever it may be. It is largely our fault. 
And I say that to the men in the room. We have so held our wives to a standard of something that's unattainable, that is photoshopped and airbrushed in the pictures that you see, that we have relegated our wives to this never-ending competition of what they cannot accomplish, what no woman should even strive to accomplish. Fellas, I hope and pray that you'll be a man that supports your wife's inner beauty, praises her for that, loves her for that, and helps her develop that. Fellas, if you're single, let me tell you something. You set your eyes on a lady who is inner has inner beauty, who loves Jesus, who is absolutely committed to Him. Because guess what? If you look around in this room, you'll see that there are many women in this room that are just as beautiful as they were 50 years ago, but their outer appearance has changed. But on the inside, they have never faltered. They are the, the godly women that you want to be married to 50 years from now. So I hope and pray that you see the difference and that we adjust our lives accordingly. A woman of the Word is focused on inner beauty, not outer beauty. A woman of the Word is also responsible. A woman of the Word is responsible. You get this picture, though we won't read all the Scripture over again, but you want to write down the reference in Proverbs chapter 31. You look at verses 10 to 22, and you see this woman who over and over is doing all these things. She seems to have her hand on a lot of different things. Now, women, you can read that and say, my goodness, she must never sleep. Her light never goes out at night. She's all, I mean, let, let's get the idea that this is a principle, not a, not a prescription. Okay, here, here we go. The idea is that a woman of the Word will be responsible. She will take her role seriously, whatever that role may be. She's not helpless, just waiting on someone else to do all of her work for her, whatever that may be. She's hardworking, and yet she's content with where she is in life. The Bible also makes it clear there in verse 10, verse 11, that her husband can trust her. She's trustworthy. Because she's responsible, she does what her role calls her to do in whatever stage of life that she is. The opposite of that is what the world sells, which is the woman of the world is independent. The woman of the Word is responsible. The woman of the world is independent. Let me clear this up and what I mean by this. As a product of what our culture is selling women today, we have many women who believe that independence is the ultimate goal that I don't need anybody, and when I get to that point, I will have reached some sort of nirvana where this is what it's all about. I don't need you. I don't need anybody else. I certainly don't need a man in my life. I don't need anybody at all. You look around in our world today, and that is what women, to an extent, are being sold. That independence is the goal. The truth is that God didn't create any of us to be independent. Certainly not independent of one another, and more more certainly not independent of Him, because when we, whether you're a woman or a man, when we pursue independence from each other, I can do it myself, I've got a chip on my shoulder, I don't need you or anybody else, the person we're really pursuing independence from is not that person, but from God. Because God has made us to be dependent on Him and dependent on one another to grow spiritually and become more like Him. So ladies, I pray and hope that you will not believe what the world sells you, that the ultimate goal for you is to be independent. I don't need anybody. That I can do it all by myself and leave me alone. That you'll understand that God has created you. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's beautiful and perfect. To be first dependent upon Him and then dependent, integrally dependent on one another for our growth and development. A woman of the Word is responsible. A woman of the world is independent. A woman of the Word also is seeking influence. Seeking influence. In Proverbs chapter 31, couple of verses here toward the end of the chapter make it very clear that this is a woman, a godly woman, who has great influence. In verses 26 to 28, you see this. 
She opens her mouth with wisdom and loving instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the activities of her household and is never idle. Her sons or children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. You see that this woman has sought influence. In Titus chapter 3, you see the command for the older women to teach and have influence on the younger women. For the younger women to, to love and have influence on the husbands that God has given them and the children that God blesses them with. They seek influence. They're not just coasting through life. They understand that they are there to be an influencer on people through what they say, how they live, how they respond, what they do, and so on. That's a woman of the Word. That woman is basing that influence on her character, her life pattern, not just on what she says, but on how she lives. Also, her primary focus is toward her husband and her children, because she have those. That is her primary focus of influence. I'm going to do all I can to help my husband be a godly man, to disciple my children, to be godly young people. That's her focus. So she teaches, she, she disciples, she disciplines, she... She does all of that, with the Bible says, with a humble and gentle spirit, seeking influence. Now, the opposite of this is seeking control. A woman of the Word seeks influence. A woman of the world seeks to be in control of every single thing. You think back to the Garden of Eden. What was Eve's biggest problem? She sought to control her own destiny. Satan presented her with an opportunity to sin, to give in to temptation. And instead of submitting to God's command to not eat of that particular fruit, Instead of, of seeking the input of her husband, hey, hold on, this is new, this is different, what should we do in this situation? She acts independently, she seeks control, and she determines what she will do. Self-determination is obviously a lie from the devil. The idea that we are, man or woman, in total control of our lives, and that should be our goal, we should seek control, is a lie. The truth is that we are to be not under our own control, but under the control of the Lord, and to submit to Him and to others out of love. We can't really afford in this situation to take culture's lead. You control your own destiny. You just get it done. You make it happen. So a woman of the Word is seeking influence, and conversely, a woman of the world is seeking control. A woman of the Word is self-sacrificing. We go through these contrasts. I think you see there's a distinct difference. A woman of the Word is self-sacrificing. In Proverbs, again, chapter 31, it says that, that she's seeking the good of others. She's working not just for herself, but to help others out. In a sense, she has the same mind as Jesus Christ, which is referenced in Philippians 2, that He emptied Himself, humbled Himself, poured Himself out for us, and went to the cross. This woman knows what really matters, and she's wise because of it. And if need be, she sacrifices in all areas. If you're a mother, you know this. You sacrifice in, in what you get. You sacrifice in your time. You sacrifice in your career pursuits. You sacrifice over and over and over again. And let me tell you this. You may not find that you think it's worth it here on earth, but God is pleased when we are people that are self-sacrificing for the good of others. The opposite of that is to be self-indulgent. A woman of the world is self-indulgent. Titus chapter 2 talks about the older women. They had no control over their tongues or what they drank. And it's just a picture of, of this self-indulgent lifestyle, that it's about me and what I want. And I'm not going to sacrifice for anyone else. I'm going to spend what I want. I'm going to use my time how I want. I'll do what I want. These types of women of the world are always secretly competing with everybody else. 
with all the other women they see, with what their houses look like, with, with what their cars look like, with what they look like, and so on. They're very insecure and self-indulgent. They refuse to grow up and are sort of always this princess. Now, I have two daughters, Lucy and, and Nora. And Nora knows in particular, Lucy's sort of past this stage, but Nora calls herself my princess. She says, I'm, I'm you princess. I say, yes, you are. But I tell you this, at some point, reality will hit her. And she will understand that you can't always be daddy's little princess. There are, and I don't say this about anybody in here in particular. I didn't come loaded for anybody today. But there are some women who never get over the idea that life is about them. There are lots of men that way too. Not just about women. You get what I'm saying. But the self-indulgent woman of the world never seems to grow up. And when things don't go her way, she, like my three-year-old, goes to bed can't control herself, and so on. That's the woman of the world. The woman of the word, self-sacrificing. The woman of the world, self-indulgent. And then we get to the Scriptures, as we've already seen, about marriage and so on, and we realize that the woman of the word has a high view of marriage. A very lofty view of marriage. It means it's very important. It is something to be valued, something to be honored. This woman, and we see in Titus 2 and 1 Peter 3 and Proverbs 31, all this scripture points to this for the godly woman. She realizes that marriage is good in God's eyes. Marriage is good. And she realizes it is the most important of all our human relationships. Ladies, let me caution you on something. Something, a lesson that Nancy and I learned. We were going through a parenting class right before Lucy was born. I'll never forget it. The one thing that I remember above all else from this preparation for parenting is this. That your family is complete with husband and wife. It is complete. Children simply add to it. And when we get it backwards, when we say, well, I'm going to start a family, we have now put the children in the place of where the spouse should be as the primary human relationship. And you see this all the time. Parents, husbands, wives, whose first priority is their children, and they forget about each other. And that's not, that's not, it's, it's an easy thing to let happen. The, the life and time and all that, it, it can make it happen. But I'll say this, that if your priority is not the marriage relationship throughout the time when you have children and so on, at some point, what's going to happen? Those kids grow up, they move away, you look at each other and you don't know your spouse. You wonder why there are many people in our world today who've been married for, for 25, 30, 35 years whose children grow up and move away and they wind up getting divorced and you say, what in the world? They've been married for so long. Why? Because in some cases, not all, but in some of those cases, I would venture to guess that the priority through the child-rearing years was not the husband and wife relationship. It became something else. Maybe it was the children. Maybe it was family activities. Whatever it may be. But your family is complete with husband and wife. So therefore, this woman of the Word has a high view of marriage, places a great value on it and does all she can to make the marriage work, to make the marriage stick together, to love her husband sacrificially, everything she can do within her power. Now, let me tell you that unless, and, and I know that marriage doesn't necessarily apply to everyone in here, and I get that. But the truth is that the Bible makes it clear that a call to lifelong singleness is a unique call. There are some people who are directly by God called to that. It seems the Apostle Paul was called to that. But that is a rare and unusual thing. God calls you for, for a specific purpose. For the most part, all, if it, maybe not all, but most of us in here will one day, if we haven't already, be in a marriage. 
And so the godly woman, unless she is specifically and uniquely called to singleness, will pursue a godly marriage with a godly man. Now, ladies, I mentioned last week that the godly man, the man of God, the, 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 the man that, that God blesses and, and is pleased with is one of love, one of sacrifice, one of commitment. If you're a single lady, I don't care how old you are, if you're thinking, you know what, one day I may be married, whether you're uh, older, middle-aged, somewhere in between, wherever you are, or a, or a college student, wherever you may be, set your sights on the man of love, the man of sacrifice, the man of commitment. Do your homework on him. Is he committed? And I mean by that, does he do what he's supposed to do when he's supposed to do it in the little things? Or does he quit? Does he give up when the going gets tough? Because let me tell you what's going to happen. That honeymoon will end. You, you don't, you don't, uh, some of you don't know this. The honeymoon will end. You come back home. And guess what? If you've married a guy who throughout his life has been able to quit and say, ah, it's too hard, I don't want to do that. He won't fulfill his commitments. He doesn't show up where he's supposed to be and when he's supposed to be there. He's not a man of his word. He doesn't love people. He won't sacrifice. He's all about himself. Guess what's going to happen the first time you have trouble? See, he may not leave then, but his heart will leave. And eventually, physically, he'll leave. And so, ladies, I challenge you. Have a high view of marriage to the point that you will settle for nothing less than a man of love, a man of sacrifice, a man of of commitments. Conversely, the woman of the world sees marriage as limiting. Sees marriage as limiting. Well, this is prevailing in our culture today. We have young people who say, well, <laughs> I'm not sure I want to get married because I've got some things that I want to do. Well, do you see the subtle nature of that? We delay marriage and delay it and put it off and put it off and put it off. Now, I'm not saying that if you're, you know, you're somewhere uh, and you said, well, it looks like if I delayed marriage, the next person I see, we're just going to make an agreement. We're going to make a pact that if by this age we're not married, we'll, you know, I guess we'll settle for each other. That's not what I'm saying. But, but women of the world, and of course men of the world too, see marriage is limiting. Their other relationships, their other pursuits are more important. They don't see that as something that, that should be valued, that they should place a high priority on, that they should be seeking. Not in an ungodly way, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, seeking someone that they could build a biblical marriage with. This woman of the world doesn't want any perceived boundaries. She intentionally delays her marriage for selfish reasons. Not just because that's what life brought to her, but for selfish reasons she delays it. And of course, this is the view of modern culture. Do what you want. Don't get married. That'll hold you back. Don't begin a family and so on. Woman of the world has a high view of marriage. Woman of the world sees marriage as limiting. As we move to our, toward a close, we need to look at two last things. The woman of the world, word rather, sees children as a gift. Children are a gift. In Psalm chapter 127, beautiful passage of Scripture. Psalm 127 verse 3 says this, Sons or children are indeed a heritage from the Lord. Children a reward or a gift. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the sons of Born in one's youth, happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. Such men will never be put to shame when they speak their, with their enemies at the city gate. The Bible makes it clear in this and other passages that children are a gift. Over and over, it is called in the Bible for women to love their children, to view them as a gift from God. They're a gift. They're also a calling to raise them, to train them, to disciple them, to teach them, and then send them out. My wife, Nancy, was that 
Walmart recently. Of course, she's pregnant. We're doing about five weeks with her fourth child. And she had, excuse me, she had two of our children with her. And the young man that was the, the, the cashier looked at her and looked at our two kids and looked back at her and so on. And, and they sort of struck up this odd conversation. And he says something about when do you do and so on. And she tells him, and well, how many is this? Well, it's four. And the look on his face is four. And he says, what on earth possessed you to do that? Now, I have to be honest with you. When Nancy tells me this, my first response is to go and choke the guy at Walmart for messing with my wife, all right? And I know none of you guys have that response, all right? But what I, what I, what I hope <laughs> this guy would get is that, you know what, no matter how many children you have, whether or not you are able to have children, whatever it may be, that, that we live our lives in such a way that, according to the Scripture, we see children from God's perspective. Not what possessed you to do that. But man, if God blesses you with children, what an incredible gift. What an incredible blessing from God. And it's just interesting to me to note his response. Because I think he points to what the world says, that children are an interruption. The woman of the Word sees children as a gift woman of the world sees them as an interruption. This is certainly the prevailing view in our culture. Uh, children are a nuisance. Somebody else needs to deal with them. Or there's something, they're an interruption they need to be done away with. We have, in our world, in our, in our own country, seen 50 million babies aborted in the last 30 some odd years. The overwhelming majority of which were viewed as an interruption. Viewed as a hindrance, not viewed as a gift. I wanted to tell that guy that, you know what? <laughs> My children are anything but an interruption. Do they make a lot of noise? Do they keep me from sleeping a lot of times? Are we about to have more sleepless nights because of a newborn? Yes. They are a gift from God. And I praise God for my children. And I know that you, whether you have children or not, I know that you... Being people of the Word, love and appreciate children as a gift from God. And then finally, as we close, a woman of the Word has her identity secure in the Lord. Her identity is secure in the Lord. The New Testament makes reference to this idea of, of being sons of God. And some of your versions may say being children of God. When, when the Bible talks about believers being sons of God, it includes women. Now, let me say this. That is not a chauvinistic way of putting things in the Scripture. In fact, it is an elevation of women to the point of joint heirs with men. You understand during Bible times, women were viewed at best as second-class citizens, at worst as property, just to, to sort of spend time in the other part of the house, be seen and not heard. Women in God's economy are raised to the level of joint heirs, equal spiritually to men. There is no second-class citizen in God's world. And so when you see in the Scripture this idea of sons of God, understand that He includes women in that as having equal access to God, equal standing on God's economy, equal footing spiritually. And a woman who knows that sees herself no longer you know, as that enemy of God, but as a friend, once lost, now found. She builds her life as a result in Titus chapter 2, it says, on sound teaching, sound doctrine. And so she's no longer blown around. She understands her identity and is secure in the Lord as a child of God with access to Him. 
And the opposite is an identity that's confused by the world. The woman of the Word has her identity secure in the Lord. The woman of the world has her identity confused by the world. In an always changing, mixed message, never good enough, denial of reality sort of world, women have trouble if you listen to what the world tells you in determining who they really are. And so ladies, what we choice be today? Some of you sit on the fence between being a woman of the Word and a woman of the world. Maybe you've not intentionally chosen to be that woman of the Word. I'll tell you this, you cannot become a woman of the Word without faith in Jesus Christ and a love for His Scriptures. It doesn't just happen. You have to choose to believe in Jesus and choose to abide by His Scriptures. Without Him, without Him being the focus of your life, you will simply by default be a woman of the world. The truth is, though, that even though that sounds impossible, it's not an impossible task. Because Jesus promised in Matthew chapter 11 to give rest, to lighten the load for all those who would come to Him. And so ladies, I pray that you'll come to Him today. And He'll make you a woman of the Word. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. And men, He will lead you to assist your wife, your future wife, the women around you, your daughters, your, your sisters, whomever. He'll, he'll lead you to assist them in becoming women of the Word. The truth is, like the women of today who are here, we all obviously have to make a choice about Jesus. Will we believe in Him as the Son of God, the one who died to forgive us of our sins, the only one through whom salvation is possible? Or will we choose something else? As we close this morning before our song, I, I know we've run over just a tad and we're all hungry and wanting to get to the lunch. You're now not ready to appreciate your pastor, but you're just ready for lunch. I get that. But I, I don't want to miss an opportunity this morning to have just a moment of prayer for the women that are here. As I said, from the very beginning, we have many in our congregation today, and many who we know, that are women of the Word. And I also know that we have many who are probably on the fence, not sure who you are, wanting to be that kind of woman, but struggling to see it happen. And so this morning, as we did last week, praying for the men, I'd like to pray for the women. And I'm not here to embarrass you or to, to make you raise your hand and stand up and give a testimony and all that kind of stuff, but I do want you to have the opportunity to say, you know what, I want to be that kind of woman, but I'll be honest with you, right now in my life, I'm struggling with that. And society, the world is throwing all these things at me, and I, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting or I've got somebody in my life that I just desperately want to see them live as a woman of the Word, not a woman of the world. This as we did last week, I'd, I'd like for you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes for just a second so that no one is embarrassed, so that no one feels weird and awkward. But ladies, I'd like to pray as we close specifically for you. And specifically for those who say, I desire with my whole heart, I really do, to be a woman of the Word. And, and I'm convicted by what God has said to me today. I know that that's not the path of my life. Would you pray for me? I'm struggling in that area. You may have been a Christian for a long, long time. You may be an older lady here today, and you're still battling those things. You may be a young person, and you say, I tell you, I've got my whole life ahead of me, and I want to be that woman of the Word.
In this moment, I, I simply would like to give you the opportunity, not because of me, but because I think it's important for us to acknowledge with someone else. That's an issue for me. Would you pray for me? And in this moment, as we did last week with a man, I'd like to invite you ladies, if you'd like specific prayer for that, just to lift your eyes, make eye contact with me, put your eyes right back down, and I'll be happy to, to say a prayer just in general. Let's go to Lord in prayer. God, I'm thankful for women who are honest who admit, Lord, their imperfection and know that the grace of Jesus Christ covers all of that. God, I pray today in this moment that you would bring strength to the ladies who are struggling to be a woman of the Word. God, I pray that it would be true in their lives that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, and they would find rest in you in this very moment. God, I pray that you would strengthen them and empower them to be women of the Word. I pray, Lord, that the world would not have its way with these ladies, but, God, your spirit would overwhelm them, that they would submit to you so that you can make them what you have created them to be, beautiful on the inside, exactly the women that you want them to be. Lord, I pray for those who have past hurt that are holding them back, issues in their lives, Lord, from years ago that still haunt them today. God, I pray today would be one of release and forgiveness and freedom for them. Thank you, Lord, that by following your word, we are not made to be oppressed, but we are made to be free, to be the people that you have created us to be and to live a life of pure joy. Thank you that you're always with us, even when things don't go our way. We thank you most for Jesus Christ, through whom we have the offer of salvation. Thank you for your grace and your mercy to not hold our sins against us when we believe. Thank you for the women, Lord, that are here. And I pray that you would, as a church, help us to be people of the Word, men and women who love you. They would be discerning about the world's influence and choose to follow Jesus, choose to live wisely, choose to be filled with your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name.